Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I mean, all hell's breaking loose in here. Yes, yes. Jackson looks like Patrick Swayze at the end of Ghost as he walks away from Demi Moore. And I believe Whoopi Goldberg, too, but we'll look into that. Listen, uh, it's Balloon Party and there's breaking news. Jackson, what's the situation here? There's a lot. Tell me what's going on. <laughs> going on. Jackson's flustered. Andy's depressed from the uh, Missouri game, yeah. so he's very vulnerable. You ought to send some texts in to lift his spirits. 314-399-9646. If you're watching on YouTube, apparently... Randy Carricker went to adjust the blinds in the 101 ESPN studio, and they all collapsed. You may notice some of uh, members of the engineering staff have joined us. I don't know if they're on camera. They're not. They don't want to be. <laughs> Jackson, all hell's breaking loose. Do something. I, all I saw was a, a 10-second countdown to when the show's about to start, and then... Rockio is given slinging takes in my ear. The sun is like a supernova right in my eyeballs. Ken Stroh dropped off a, yeah, a, a sheet Stroh of paper with trivia, despite me <laughs> exclaiming 10 seconds and we're on the air. Still conversations going on. Uh, engineers are walking in left and right. I can barely see the board. Uh, but yet, we're on the air. We're on YouTube. Good, good. I like where we are. And, Jeremy uh, Rutherford's going to be with us. JR will be with us at 1045. So, uh, you know what? Started out as, you know, a lot of adversity. We overcame that, and now mm-hmm. we're uh, we're in our bag. Now okay. we're in the groove. Okay, good. Because I already knew you were despondent yeah. about what took place between the hedges. And I was going to try to workshop as I was walking down the hallway to the 101 ESPN studio. I thought, you know what? I'm going to lift Jackson up today. I'm going to lift you. you up. No, I appreciate that. And then I walk in here. And I, I felt like I was staring at an eclipse. I mean, I don't know. Something about the 101 ESPN studios and the sun. I feel like we're close. We're like Mercury. We're the planet Mercury when we go in here. I mean, this sun is... I need sunglasses. I can't see the board. I don't know like what mic is on and what isn't. I mean, this is, this is a serious thing here. And uh, apparently this happened live on the air. I wonder if there's video of this happening. I'm sure there is. That would be... Lo- I'd love to see it. Yeah. I want to create a gif of Randy <laughs> tearing down the blinds. The look of disappointment on the engineering staff. And they walked in here and they just shook their head. Yeah, that uh, that stood out to me. I mean, the natural light is nice and all, but like I also need to be able to see the the control board here. Some people have unfairly said that you are light skinned, and I I demand they apologize. Mm. But unfortunately, with with the sun, which I believe is approaching for a collision with Earth directly in Creevecore, Missouri, you're getting more and more transparent as we speak. I mean, for me to look anything but very 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 pale Mm -hmm. you would need like and this is a deep cut hollywood reference but david lachapelle (laughs) to light the scene correctly oh god text in on that yeah or maybe gordon willis from the godfather to light me correctly so that i don't look like this but i'll tell you right now uh the sun bearing down on this very studio is is the opposite of conducive for me looking like a normal human being Damn, the sun really makes Jackson look like a White Walker. That's yeah. in the YouTube and chat, and it was posted by Ass Tastes. Nice. Um, yeah, now there's that, feedback yeah, there's in my feedback headphones. feedback coming in. 
Where's huh. Ryder? <laughs> he said, "Yeah, this is a bad time to go out of town, man." Because so I he's not here. He's not. No, this is. I'm. I'm. Here comes Jackson. He's gonna score. I'm Han Solo back here. So if things go sideways, you know, it's all on me. Oh my. Yeah, I don't know what the feedback is. Hopefully that doesn't. Hopefully I didn't go over the air. But um, yeah, I can't see at the moment, and uh, it's like right in my line of sight. Randy was pissed the doggies lost. That's from the 314. So he decided to yank down the blinds. Listen, you have what I think many of us think of if we went to, as Jackson calls it, university. Mm, mm -hmm. Uni. The blinds you would put up that you probably got at like a Home Depot. Yeah. You know, and they're they're made of paper and they're, you know, they're to, to block out whatever activity, whatever ne'er-do-wells are doing behind those blinds. These blinds, I think, probably weigh 10,000 pounds. Yeah, well, I I bet I could could do something with them. I don't know what that means. Well, you know, a lot of people see me as like, oh, we'll do, you know, I don't like to get my hands. I got city hands. You know, that's not the case. You know, I can can roll my sleeves up like I'm campaigning. So you're going to lift these up and replace them? Yeah, or like uh, when when the weather team has a serious storm issue. Roll those sleeves up. So if you're watching on YouTube, you see that uh, we are both... Never mind. I thought yeah. that they were just curtains. No. I mean, this thing is a... These might not be back for two years. <laughs> Boy. We'll be long gone by the time these blinds are back up. Man, this is... See, this is this is like... It's like a golf tournament. So like for the morning <laughs> shows like us and the opening drive, it's a real problem to have this. But by the time the fast lane starts or even the tail end of BK and Ferrario, they don't, they will, the sun will be on the other side of so the... So you're road. saying Jamie Rivers doesn't know what we have to deal with. Right. It's like the wind dying down for the afternoon tea time. Ah, it's like it's, yes. it's really beneficial exactly. to those guys. Favorable conditions for the afternoon drive program. That's yeah. what Jackson's saying. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that is the situation. Now people are observing. They're walking through the hallway to watch Jackson... Light up like I'm actually. I feel like I need to lube you up with some sunblock. I just that would be helpful, or at least some sunglasses. I gotta block this out. I have to cover because I have to cover the mic so I can see which one is on and which one isn't. <laughs> A lot of text coming in. Casper, is that you? That's from the yeah, three. Okay, let's let, let's let yes, I am pale. Yes, this light doesn't help me out. Established. I enjoy the fact that me, being pasty, <laughs> falls on deaf ears because you are lighter skin than my pale Irish ass. I so desperately need to be able to grow a beard. Like, so for so many this reasons. beard helps my cause? A hundred percent. But it helps everyone's cause. I just, I maybe wish... Maybe you can do it. You got the... Well, you no. didn't get the hair transplants. You got the laser cap you wear. Yeah. But no. maybe they can do a beard transplant for you. Wouldn't that be know. a wonderful little procedure? I actually... Yeah, that'd be lovely. It's, the problem isn't... Like, I can actually grow facial hair and it connects and everything. It's that great. It's white on my cheeks and mustache. Wait, you like Santee? Yeah, it's like white. But then on the bottom, it's like this reddish brown. It would look so bad. Like, it would look awful. You know, like, uh, have you ever seen Jake Paul with a beard? Imagine that ten times worse. World champion boxer and podcaster. Yeah, fights someone who actually boxes. Wow, Jackson coming after Jake Paul in the first segment. Didn't have that on my parlay. I did have the Little Piddles Angry Beaver weekend wrap-up, though. I have Jeremy Rutherford at 1045. You know what? I made fun of you on, on Friday. You said you expected five points from the Blues in this four-game homestand. Mm-hmm. And look at what this team is doing. I'll tell you because I know there's a chance you don't know. Oh, I they do. Won, you know. Oh, I do. They won on Friday night against the Devils. They won on Saturday night, impressively, by the way, mm-hmm. against L'Habitant. Mm-hmm. 
How do you do? How Where do you like come from? Now? Yeah, I remember when you asked me that. I was You're actually like five points, and I'm like, okay. Well, uh, to be fair, uh, you had said how many points do you expect, and I at that point was not really paying attention, and so I asked how many points is possible. And you said eight. I said sure, five sounds good. Wow. So you didn't study the rosters of the Devils, the Canadians, the team you call wins per game, right? And the Coyotes making another appearance here on a Thursday evening. Well, yeah, boy, aren't we all looking forward to that Coyotes tilt? Um, I think I'm going to both games. Nice, yeah, look taking, at you taking my boy. Good, that's cool. Yeah. Absolutely, you go to the weeknight games. That's a good play. Um, yeah, I mean, good to see Robert Thomas shooting more. It's kind of what the fans ex- wanted to see. You know, kind of want to see uh, some Thomas and Kyrou development. Kevin Hayes, how do you do? What do you say, number 12? Look at this guy, Peter Buck. That's the extent of my knowledge about Kevin Hayes. All right. Okay. I knew he played for the Rangers. <laughs> he did. No, no, you can't. You're not going to Petrangelo me on this one. I knew he played for the Rangers. But where did he come from? Philly. <sighs> It's all happening here for you. It is. Maybe the sunlight does you good, yeah. and all of a sudden you turn into Don Cherry. Yeah, well, I, Lord knows I need some serotonin after Saturday, so hopefully the sunlight will do it. We will uh, set the stage. I will try to handle Jackson therapeutically. I thought it was just going to be mentally, but now it's going to be tending to his uh, epidermal layer. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, yeah, 100%. Yeah, St. Louis U High, shout out. Uh, in the next segment, because I have a feeling I know what the lead is. Uh, tough weekend here. Now, here's the thing. I'll set the stage, do a little teaser, because I want to get better at teasing. Did we expect Missouri to be Georgia? No. Both you and I, though, had a higher confidence level than I think the average person did. Yeah. And then, in really something that I was honestly regretting doing, because I've been doing this candidly at the, the highest level anybody's mm-hmm. ever done it, for 20 plus years, <laughs> our director of sales walked by right as I said that, and he looked in like, Well, he knew. <laughs> yeah. That reaction was like, What is, what's going on in there right now? Uh, that I know not to say I expect a home team to lose, especially when it's like, say, like Missouri, you can say it, it's kind of safe. Mm, yeah. Illinois, they, you can say it's kind of safe. Right. Not as safe with St. Louis University. But to say one of the professional teams, I expect them to lose, that's safe. Like I've noticed, I've asked Doug Vaughn on TMA for predictions over the years. He never publicly picks against the home team. Doug's a seasoned veteran. He's a savvy veteran. He knows how to play the game. Yeah. But I, you know what? I practice honesty in media. And so when you ask me if I expected him to win, number one, disappointed to ask the question. But then I have an obligation to answer honestly. Right. I didn't expect him to win. But that my compadre producer Joe said he loved the changes they made to the starting lineup. He's on me to bet the over on the team total of one and a half, which I do. It's plus 164. I said plus 164. He never answered. So I bet it. Obviously, that didn't work out because they only scored one goal. But I, I just the way it had been trending, both for Sporting KC and for the Doggies, this is kind of the direction it was going. So I'm not really that surprised by it. So that's where I am on this. Best thing that happened this weekend, what the Blues did. Mm-hmm. It was so Doggies. Ah. So we're going to get into that. The, the foundation's been laid. And then uh, we'll have Jeremy Rutherford at 1045 here. It's all coming up on Balloon Party, driven by Munganast, Burkard, Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN and on YouTube. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Jackson with you. It's a program that is broadcasting from the surface of the sun. For real. Jackson's madder than a hornet in here today. I've never heard him so upset. And this is coming on the heels of a Missouri game that was bothering you this morning on TMA, and I can't imagine it's gotten any better since. So let's workshop through it, ladies and gentlemen. Jeremy Rutherford, 1045 on the Blues. Winning both games this weekend. That's coming your way. But right now, it's time for the Little Piddles Angry Beaver Weekend Wrap-Up. Well, Tim, Missouri went down to Georgia and played the number one team as hard as anyone has in recent memory. What are some of your main takeaways from the Tigers' loss to the Bulldogs? Open-ended question here. It is, you know what I want to do? Yeah. I want to start with you. All right. Uh, biggest takeaway was that Missouri was both stuffing the run for Georgia, uh, which I don't think Kirby Smart saw coming, and then they were also forcing the run with Cody Schrader, which is another thing I don't think Kirby Smart anticipated. Uh, what Missouri did well was war in the trenches. They played outstanding. Both defensive line and offensive line did a really good job of getting pressure back and giving uh, Brady Cook some time given that this is the number one team in the country, certainly the best team Missouri has played so far this year. We talked about the keys to victory of surviving the first quarter. They did so, and then some. Uh, winning the turnover battle was the one that I certainly was keyed in on, and they did not do so. They could not force a turnover. They came close. Um, Dalen Carter almost, or Dalen Carnell almost picking off a little wide receiver screen pass that went to Dominic Lovett for a touchdown. That was a huge swing in the game. Uh, obviously, Luther Burden's first catch, that touchdown was outstanding, but I think he got banged up worse than he was leading on. Uh, after missing another touchdown opportunity, and he was not the same, so that completely changed up the offense. They did a great job of keeping the run, uh, but the obvious moment that everyone's thinking about who was rooting for Missouri was Brady Cook's interception in the fourth quarter because you have the ball in your hand, down six points with eight minutes to go, probably as good a position as you can ask for when you head down to Athens. Unfortunately, Brady Cook's biggest mistake came at the worst time. I feel terrible for him because he is a guy who has shown out big time this year and has put them in a position to be there. Um, but that sucks because you were right there with the number one team in the country. Obviously, you didn't go in thinking you were going to win, but you knew you had a chance and they proved that. Unfortunately, there's wins and losses and that was a loss. Nice. How does your emotion this morning compare to your emotion on the Monday following the LSU game? Because you were despondent on that one as well. It's very similar, I would describe it as, because I think in both cases they were right. I mean, certainly in LSU, that was like a game more so that they lost. Um, Georgia does what Georgia does. So I'd say it's a little different because Missouri was at home against LSU. That was a very, that was a game that they could have won and honestly should have won. The game at Georgia would have been, you know, unbelievable. Uh, but it's still the same because, like, I had the biggest dreams possible for this year. You had a vision. You had I a did. vision. I did. And, and, and I, I really thought that this team could do something that we've never seen Missouri do, and that is be in the mix up until the very last minute for the college football playoff. And uh, that dream is no longer. So it's kind of, it, it, uh, it sucks. But honestly, you know, having some perspective on it, having hope on November 4th, is something we haven't seen here in a long, long time. And so it's nice. Ultimately, though, I, I, I have like this like feeling in my stomach where it's just like, man, that like 
really sucks. It really sucks because I'm so tired of the thing of like Missouri being an afterthought and being like, oh, Missouri's good this year. I don't. I want that to be the norm. I want it to be like, oh, I want it to be in a, a, a topic when Missouri is bad, not when they're good. And this was a chance to do that. This was, as we talked about last week, an opportunity unlike we've seen in a very, very, very long time to not only like be there with the big dogs, but you know, kind of. Be, become a big. If you want to become a big dog, you can circumvent years and years of tradition by winning. What we say, just win, and that was an opportunity there. And I don't want to say that Missouri squandered it. Georgia played a hell of a game. Missouri played a hell of a game. It was a great football game. But ultimately, you know, I'll quote the, the show Shorzy. They don't ask how; they ask how many. And Missouri lost. Uh, I wanted you to be able to to vent because there's a good chance that I'll just be talking until about two o'clock. Uh, and so they'll escort me out of the studio and then I'll just go into another like hallway and keep talking. About this <laughs> um, but I know you're down about it. I, I mean, all I can tell you is exactly how I feel. And, uh, and that is for whatever reason, the LSU game bothered me more. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't necessarily know exactly why outside of theorizing that that is a game that I felt like Missouri lost right. as opposed to got beat. Mm-hmm. And that was really disappointing. On this, I have a combination of emotions. Number one, perhaps the the leader is uh, gratitude for the place I went to school. That when I was in school, for the most part, now 97 to 98, they were a good football team. But they were a joke going in. And in, in most of the 1980s and 1990s, that they could do that to go it used to be even two years ago we were like live betting or discussing betting like our bankrolls on georgia against missouri that was two years ago oh yeah they were the better team in the first half now i know it sounds if it were texas a&m or tennessee or a team with more you know of a, a pedigree it would seem more believable and since I went to Missouri, one would say, oh, that's a homer take. I mean, I'm, you're going to hear what I have to say, and you're probably not going to say that's a homer take when it's all said and done. Uh, I tell you what I think, and obviously sometimes it's not popular, so I really don't care what you think about what I think. I'm going to tell you what I think, and I feel like that's my job. Um, but they were the better team. They were the better team against LSU in the first half. But the games are, uh, unfortunately, two halves. And in the second half, that run play that they were utilizing so effectively on third down, in particular with Brady Cook, hey, Georgia ended that. Yeah. That was over. And I think, as you made reference to, Luther Burden was not the same after the injury in the end zone. He was still out there, but the only pass I believe he caught in the second half was that two-point conversion, which is a two-point conversion, does not require a lot of yards to run. I'm not even sure he, the play was designed for him. Um so that certainly had an impact. But, you know, I asked Gabe DeArmond on the show last Friday, the, the thing that was important to me was that they could establish the run so that that would allow them to pass the ball and not become uh, one-dimensional. Right. And they more than did that. Cody Schrader, what a story. Yeah. The way he played. But also the thing that I think stands out to me most from a football standpoint is that Missouri went up against nothing but four- and five-star recruits in the trenches, and they held their own. Georgia was grinding. The fact that Georgia had to run flea-flicker crap. Same thing they did in Columbia last year. They did that last year, too. You're going, my God. And that's because Missouri's defensive line was able to get to Carson Beck, who was only sacked six times in their first eight games this year. 
and Missouri got to them three times, and they pressured them other times, and they had the run in check. Holy crap. Yeah. So it, I also have an appreciation for Georgia because even with Missouri playing a damn good game, Georgia didn't make a mistake. Yeah. I'm sure there's some things Kirby Smart probably has 10 of things that he would call mistakes, but he, they didn't have the Brady Cook pass passes, really. I realize the second one was in desperation mode down nine with time ticking down. But the first one, they don't do that. So they have the talent and they're that well coached that they make adjustments at halftime to take a big part of Missouri's first half offense off the table in the second half and they just don't make mistakes. And that is what separates them and doing it for the length of time they've done it and everybody else. Um, Another observation. Only one of these two things has to be true. Either Georgia is not as good as we thought they were or Missouri is one of the best teams in the country. Sounds insane. I recognize it. They won't be ranked there by the college football playoff committee uh, as one of the best teams. They can't win the SEC East anymore, so the best thing you can hope for is 10-2 and 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 a great bowl game, a New Year's Six game. But... The, the you, Missouri can't do that if they're not one of the best teams in the country or Georgia just isn't as good as we thought. They'll get Ole Miss this weekend at 6 o'clock on Saturday night on ESPN, and they'll get a trip to Knoxville, uh, I would imagine, at 2.30 on CBS before facing off Georgia Tech and then most likely Alabama in the SEC championship game and then whoever they get in the college football playoff. My guess is Georgia is one of the best teams in the country, and Missouri actually is as well. But because it's Missouri, uh, it gets dismissed. Locally, that might be the case. Interestingly, listening nationally to podcasts, because it's one thing to be in your local bubble. This is a game that, as Gabe DeArmond just observed on on TMA, Missouri actually gained more national credibility through a loss than perhaps anything going back to when they actually entered the top 25 with a loss in 1997 by losing on the final play of regulation or the t- tied the final play of regulation against number one Nebraska on the flea kicker. Mm-hmm. They moved into the top 25 with a loss. You can't watch that game on Saturday and think Missouri didn't belong. And I, I, I thought there was a chance they lost by 40, and I thought there was a chance they'd win by two touchdowns. I really felt like it was that wide of a delta because I didn't know how good Missouri was, and I still wasn't sure how good Georgia was. And I'm still just, I, I got to see Ole Miss and Tennessee and how they do there. Right. I'm assuming they win them both, but, um, you know, I mean, they got four straight tests with what we thought was a test with Florida, and then Florida loses to Arkansas, so maybe not. Right. And what we thought uh, you'd have with Missouri, Ole Miss, and, and then Tennessee. So with that all said, I thought it was a shame that the Brady Cook play happened from a football standpoint and also because he's been so key to the revival of an offense that was really DOA throughout most of the 2022 season. Uh, If he would have looked to his right, um, who was it you said? Mekhi Miller. Mekhi Miller was wide open on the play where he threw the pick to uh, Nassim Stockhouse. And... That I mean, there was there was a linebacker I believe who was twenty yards off of Miller, but holy crap! Yeah, it was uh, field. God Almighty! I, I was honestly preparing myself, and I said this to my wife. I go, I think they might lose thirty to twenty eight because I was expecting Missouri to score, and then I thought Georgia would kick a field goal, and that's how my heart will be ripped out. Yeah, uh, I didn't, and then a play later for real. There's there's the pick. Yep. That's unfortunate. It was unfortunate that uh, Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson had the and I, and, the, and if I were CBS, I'd put them in Tuscaloosa as well. Right. 
but I don't really oftentimes say anything about broadcasts because it's so subjective. I mean, we have people in our text inbox who love us, people who hate us, whatever. I've been doing it so long. Bring bring all of it on. It's wonderful. You know, it's not going to affect anything. But God, that was a terrible broadcast, and that was a shame. Um, that was really, really bad. Um, that they had the C team on that, right. um, Rich Wetzel and Aaron Taylor, and I'm sure they're fine gentlemen, but God, was that a bad broadcast? Was that bad production? And then the game was horribly officiated. Uh, I think it went both ways. Uh, Georgia had a pass interference call go against it that benefited Missouri that I don't think was pass interference. Georgia had a face mask call on the play before the flea flicker, flicker or two plays before the flea flicker that was not called that would have brought them, I think, inside of Missouri's 20, 15, or 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were in, would have been in the red zone. Um, so I said right when that happened to my wife, I go, okay, well, there's a makeup call coming. I didn't expect it to be the hopper pass oh, interference yeah. on a ball that wasn't catchable. To me, the one that was the worst, but it flies under the radar, Missouri leading 13 to 10, third and seven for Georgia, uh, out of field goal range, but perhaps in Missouri territory, ball thrown way behind their receiver. Drayden Norwood, Missouri corner, is called for pass interference a full two seconds after the ball hit the ground. Gabe DeArmond was watching the official throw the flag, and you just go, that's that that one, I'm going, oh. Because up until that point, I had no problem with anything mm-hmm. uh, as far as Missouri's play, Georgia's play, or the officiating, and that was a real shame. But that's part of the deal. You go on the road in college football, it's not limited to Athens, Georgia. It happens in Columbia, Missouri, too. But that was warm garbage. I think a lot of attention's on the offensive pass interference getting picked up. I had no problem with that, but that's the bright, shiny object. I thought the Drayden Norwood one and the one on Hopper were just atrocious. Um, But again, they had a bad one against Georgia, and then there was a face mask they missed on uh, Oscar Delp on his reception when Missouri was blitzing in the fourth quarter. So with all of that said, um, I come out of it and I go, who knew that I I expected we both bet Missouri to win more than six and a half games and we'll make money on that. And that's wonderful. But I didn't think, I didn't think that we were looking at a team that could be one of the best teams in the country. And it turns out unless Georgia is no good or just overrated, Missouri just played with, one of the best programs in recent memory on a win streak that we haven't seen anything like as far as championships, potentially three in a row since the 1930s in their building with the SEC is on the line and 93,000 fans. And they went toe to toe with them in particular in the trenches. That was something I just didn't see coming. And I mean, what a major credit to the coaches to the players, to the program, from going from a doormat two years ago to where they were on Saturday afternoon. That was something else, and it's just not something that I expected, and I think a lot of people uh, around the country are going, holy crap, didn't see that one coming, thought they'd get blown off the field just like a lot of other teams with SEC dreams, then they have to meet the king, and all of a sudden, order is restored. Georgia felt that one, and that might be the best team Georgia plays in the SEC this year, which sounds ridiculous, and I understand it sounds ridiculous, but I think that might be the case. Missouri, if there was a 12-team playoff this year, I think would be in it, and usually 
the number one and two teams that usually, like if you think of Tommy Frazier in Nebraska or Charlie Ward in, in Florida State, uh, you know, take your pick of these teams over the years and certainly the Saban teams, the Joe Burrow LSU yeah, team, they're in different worlds than the 12th team. Right. Well, Missouri just went up against what's supposedly the number one or two team as the 12th ranked team, and they gave them everything that they could handle. And it wasn't fluky. Last year, there were some turnovers that yep. helped the cause. This year, they didn't have a turnover. That was in the trenches. And I just, I mean, I, I am so damn impressed. So I guess they were beaten on Saturday and they beat themselves against LSU. Right. And I think I was frustrated by, well, it's LSU. And if you would have said they'd be five and one, you'd take it. I'm just like, stop that, man. If you're good enough, you win. Stop settling for being okay. We'll win eight games and go to a bowl game and maybe we'll beat Kansas. Go for championships. Went there to win. They expected to win. The look on Cody Schrader's face on the bench as time was ticking. That was a man who gave his all and expected to win. And they played to win. And I couldn't have more respect for that. Your thoughts are welcome. 314-399-9646. We'll take a break. Jeremy Rutherford with us coming up at 1045. This is Balloon Party, driven by Munganast, Burkhardt, Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN on YouTube. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. Balloon Party, 101 ESPN, and on YouTube. And Tim McKernan Action Jackson with you. Jeremy Rutherford coming up after a great weekend for the Blues. Uh, Jackson, we are in the midst of this Little Piddles Angry Beaver weekend wrap-up. What do you got for question two? Question two, ladies and gentlemen, Jackson Burkett. Yeah. Uh, sporting K, uh, Sport a Oh, boy. St. Louis City SC lost last evening to Sporting Kansas City and ended their fairy tale debut of a season. What do you think fans can expect this offseason in terms of moves, transfers, and players being brought in? Do you think the success of the Dogs found early is something that is sustainable? And more so than that, do you think the fan energy at City Park will continue? Oh, well, I can handle the last one, and that is an instantaneous yes, because uh, it's just a different fan base than what you see in, in Blues games and at Cardinals games mm-hmm. and it's it's I'm sure there's a lot of overlap don't get me wrong right but noise and standing is welcomed and and certainly going back to Rams games it's just oftentimes it's got to be it's a little more uh are you okay with me using the word sedentary mm, I love the word sedentary yeah I hate to show off that St. Louis U high education no I get you because I'm a man of the people and I was very lucky right. I think it was like a they felt sorry for me, so they let me go. No, I hear you. Uh, but yes, the the atmosphere will be wonderful. Uh, you know, the morning after a loss, I'm not I'm not off season guy, Jackson. So I want to dwell on the loss because I'm I'm a miserable person, mm-hmm. and uh, that was incredibly disappointing. Now, as I said, I expected it, but God, they just really didn't threaten. They 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 had some chances super early. But they didn't have great chances, and the first real shot on goal didn't come until the second half. I mean, that was rough. The way the season ended, not just against Sporting KC, 
But if you look at the final five games, including those two against Sporting KC, uh, it was rough. And that is, I think, leaving a sour taste in people's mouths. I have a friend of mine, longtime producer on TMA, producer Joe, who was uh, texting with me. And uh, and he said, I would have taken going to the playoffs, you know, at the beginning and back in February all day long. But the expectations go up. That's the same thing I was talking about with Missouri. Once you saw how good they were, you're like, okay, let's get this thing. Right. But this team wasn't in form. Mm-hmm. And... Sporting KC has been right. after a terrible start, a record-setting terrible start. They were on, and they're a dangerous team. It's a team that I wish I would have thrown like a <laughs> little bet on right. at the beginning of the playoffs because I bet you'd get a nice play on it because mm-hmm. uh, they're dangerous and they're playing well. But uh, I, I, you know, for me individually, I kind of saw it coming. At least I thought I saw it coming. I happened to be right. Maybe my thought process wasn't accurate because they just hadn't been playing well. And I just don't think you can turn it on and off. And I think that's the case in sports in general. Form tells you a lot, especially when you have two contrasting forms. One is on this upward trajectory like Sporting KC, and one has been trending down really for a while, but in particular the last few games of the regular season and and this one, so or this series. So I just, it, it isn't all of that alarming. They play a style that is unique, and uh, it just wasn't able to ever get going against Sporting KC. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford will give us his thoughts on what was an incredible weekend for the St. Louis Blues. Man, I didn't see this coming. Talk about that. I did not see this one coming, but it is super encouraging. Two more games at home for the Blues. Another one tomorrow night as they take on the Jets pregame at 6 p.m. here on 101 ESPN. JR joining us next on 101 ESPN and on YouTube here on Balloon Party. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I started walking away because I thought Jackson was about to update us on what the Lakers did this weekend. And then the last, no, no, Jeremy Rutherford's on. Yep, sure is. Morning, JR. Morning, morning. Hey, you know how polite this uh, Jackson Burkett is uh, that you work with? Tim? How, how polite is he, Jeremy? He texted me yesterday. He said, 10.45 tomorrow, sir. I said, you know what? I'm going to Metallica. How about I talk to you next week? And he said, enjoy the show, sir. <laughs> Look at you. Well, I know JR is actually, he's one to, to throw a little joke uh, in our text exchanges about coming on the show, but sometimes it's hard to pick up um, because, you know, we're just, we're texting. So I'm just like, what's the safest text here? And I said, you know what? Just enjoy oh, the yeah. show. And then if he's kidding, he'll text me. And if not, well then he'll enjoy the show. Yeah. It's a yeah. win-win. Did yeah, you? well, I did. I ran into one uh, Jamie Rivers and uh, talked to him for a few minutes and found out we had different experiences at Harry's back in the day. I was the guy in mind that they were pushing past. Uh, <laughs> uh, how how was the Talica show? Yeah, it was great. It was great. I've never seen them uh, in person, and uh, you know we're going way back yesteryear for an old guy like me. And uh, you know I'm not a huge heavy metal guy, and I know they're not necessarily. Heavy, heavy metal, but uh, just great tunes, one great song after the next. Look at that, Jackson. Are you a Metallica guy? Uh, not for me. Is that right? I respect Do you people. you look down on people no. who are because you went to Ledoux and you fancy yourself as a nobleman? <laughs> no, see, I would never want someone to look down upon what my taste and whatever uh, art form there is, so I would never look down upon someone else's. 
Oh, wow. Look at you this know. guy. Treat others how you like to be treated. Oh, my gosh. How about that? <laughs> JR, you're, you're learning a few things this morning, aren't you? <laughs> well, yeah, what did I tell you about this politeness? It took, him about a, it took him about a minute to explain to me why he didn't like Metallica yesterday. He was trying to be so polite. Look at this guy. Yeah, Look at you, Jackson. You're all groans up and you're all groans up. I'm trying to. As far as a surprise goes this weekend, I don't know if I would have been less surprised by Missouri winning at Georgia than I would have been by the Blues not only getting all four points, but playing. I mean, I realize the, the game against the Devils, you know, there were some empty net festivities there. But, I mean, they outplayed, you know, if you're, like, scoring all six periods as a, as a fight, I, I think I'd give all six periods the Blues. I mean, my point being, they outplayed two teams, and I just didn't see that coming, man, at all. Uh, what was your takeaway from it, and, uh, and what was the difference? Yeah, empty net festivities. i got to borrow that one if you, you don't like mind. like that empty sometimes. net festivities, uh, yeah. Jackson? Big <laughs> fan. borrow that. They, they played two great games, Tim, I'm telling you. And things, you know, you talk about getting traction on the season. You've got to be careful there. But things like, like they're coming together. You, what do you talk, 14 goals in the first eight games of the season, and then you have 10 in the last two, granted, two empty net festivities Thank there. You. But, Thank you. Thank uh, you. I think you see some developments. Uh, look at Jordan Kyrie. Robert Thomas, after the game, called him the absolute best player on the ice. He had nine shots on goal. And yeah. Tim, sometimes, sometimes when you have eight or nine shots on goal, you'll have three or four that are blocked. You'll have a couple miss the net. He had one that missed the net. Otherwise, all nine of them on net. Braden Shen, uh, he got off the schneid three points, has his first goal of the season. A couple big assists. They were key in kind of getting, uh, getting the Blues control of that game. Uh, and I think uh, if you look at what the – offense is doing in relation to the defense that's the key for me here is it it looked like there was a huge disconnect with this team between the defense and the offense early in the season and i think we've seen some um, connection some connectivity there and i talked to craig burby about that as he said yeah we're seeing a lot more flow it looks like the defense is jumping making plays getting the puck to the forwards, and the forwards are finally doing something with it. So we, we talked last week about you know what we what you want to see out of a season like this if, if it's not going to lead to a playoff appearance. From my standpoint, you want to see uh, Kairou and Thomas start to show that they can be the foundation for the next chapter, and we certainly saw that, uh, in particular, as you made reference to, with Kairou in, in the nine shots and the best player on the ice comments from Robert Thomas, and then also Robert Thomas firing the puck more. You also saw one guy who who got a lot of attention in the offseason because of the trade uh, or lack thereof with Tory Krug, plus four, and Kevin Hayes, a guy who was traded, uh, having himself a big game as well. So uh, mentioning uh, both those players uh, as being keys to the weekend's performance from the Blues. What would you see there? Yeah, I wrote about Robert Thomas and Kevin Hayes. And with Robert Thomas, let's talk about that situation for a second. They start out the year with Thomas and Kyra on the line together. Mm-hmm. And you just like you like that future. You like the chemistry that they have. You think, okay, those are the two guys. So those are the highlights uh, that we're going to be watching for the next 10 years. But, but there's a but here. Craig Bruby had to separate them because the offense wasn't uh, working. And, and so they uh, changed it up, and now they're on different lines. What's it done? Thomas is shooting the heck out of the puck. Uh, you know, he's on pace. Uh, granted, you got to stay healthy and play all 82, but 172 shots on goal this year with, with the pace that he's on. And uh, you look at Jordan Kyra, and like I said, he had the nine shots on goal, and, and he's just himself. So it might be a situation where you keep these two separated for a little while, 
let them kind of do their own thing. And it looks like the two lines that they're on are working really well. And a real good sign with Kevin Hayes, you know, he kind of needed to get going a little bit. He said he felt like he wasn't getting a lot of chances. Um, now Craig Bruby said kind of working for him, and then a couple happened for him in the New Jersey, New Jersey game. So I think with uh, Kevin Hayes, you had to have that happen. Uh, but he's here a couple more years, and he just has to bring some stability yeah. to that third line. I think we saw that the past two games. Jeremy Rutherford with us here on Balloon Party 101 ESPN and on YouTube. He joins us every Monday morning on the show to take a look at the weekend that was and the week that is ahead. Still two more games on this homestand tomorrow night. The Blues taking on the Winnipeg Jets. Some people mistakenly call that franchise wins per game. Um, and then they will take on the Arizona Coyotes on Thursday before heading back out. We, you know, we, we said that inevitably this team is going to have some games where you go, man, look at this, these guys, and then some games where you go, oh boy, how about that? But to put two back-to-back, you started out our conversation by saying perhaps this changes how you view uh, the way things could go this season. I think that I think that every fan is, maybe whether it's realistic or it's delusional, going, okay, well, maybe maybe this can be a little different than we, we thought after, in particular, the loss at Vancouver. Uh, and then, you know, it wasn't horrible in Colorado, but it wasn't great, and it was a dominating third period by a better team. And... Uh, and then you see that kind of performance. Granted, the, you know the Devils were in Minnesota the night before, but to play that well in those two games, does that does that change the what the the goal is here? I mean, I, I'm not saying the changes for the organization, but does it change what you think is realistic for the team? Yeah, I think a little bit. I mean, obviously we want to be careful here, but I think if you're looking through it uh, through the optimistic view, you had that game in Vancouver, and we talked to Brian Chen about it a couple of days ago. He said, "Listen, end of the." Road trip, not making excuses, but they're a rested team. They're a quick team, and uh, the Blues are playing uh, back-to-back. And, and he felt like, you know, that was kind of a setup situation where, hey, it might not look good. And it didn't, obviously. You know, Colorado, they did lose the game. Colorado's the better team, but I think, you know, they hung in there and they had some shots on goal. That's a big key, Tim. You know, outshot in the first five games of the season. And in the last five, they've uh, got 35 shots on goal three times. That's a positive trend. So we can talk about have they turned the corner, do they have traction. Some of the numbers are showing that they're playing better hockey. So, again, you have to be careful. you got a couple teams coming up that you've lost to already this season. Uh, But I think that things are trending in the right way. And after two games, they feel good about their game. And I think that's going to be the big thing with this team is is, is the confidence early on. You lose a couple, all of a sudden, here we go again. But I think the way they turned things around this past weekend uh, is at least a good sign for the next couple weeks. Yeah, indeed. And it is is something else what took place on Friday and Saturday. And we'll see how they perform tomorrow night. Looking forward to it. Blues and Jets pregame here on 101 ESPN at 6 p.m. You can hear Jeremy Rutherford throughout the week on 101 ESPN. And he's with us on Wednesdays on TMA at 9 o'clock. Jeremy Rutherford, 101 ESPN, giving us his perspective on an incredible weekend for the St. Louis Blues. JR, always appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Fine, sir. Thanks, Jimmy. Talk to you guys. Thank you. That's Jeremy Rutherford with us here on Balloon Party. Time for us to shut it down. BK and Ferrario are up next for Action Jackson. I am Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party on 101 ESPN and on YouTube. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.